Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Karn the Undying in XNR, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Tuning in will bring victory to the Klingon Empire. So say we all. the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast! Here we are with episode 9. I know none of you thought we'd make it this far, and honestly, neither did we, so thank you for being here. Uh, we're having a great time. I'd like to bring in... Well, first, I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and I'd like to bring in now a man who writes the songs that makes the whole world sing, who writes the songs of love and, and special things, a man who writes the songs that make the young girls cry... He is music, and he is Dan Davidson. How are you, buddy? I'm just trying to... I'm fine, first of all. I'm just trying to figure out, were you trying to do a Barry Manilow slash Jim Kirk there? Because it sounded kind of like you were. I didn't want... I, I know you didn't want to tell people, but um, you do spend you know, some of your hours away from your primary career as a professional Barry Manilow impersonator. I and do. I thought that it would be a nice way to pay homage to that because you are music and you write the songs, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. And you can catch my new show in Vegas this year. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to be in Vegas this year. <laughs> I think our audience knows that. Chew on that. <laughs> You're not going to be in Vegas unless there's a mirror universe showing Star Trek continues. <laughs> oh, that's a possibility. Yeah. If we can talk to Vic and the crew about that, then maybe I'll get out there this year. Yeah, One never knows. Miracles happen. <laughs> Um, hey, we are only uh, about, uh, what, 60 days from the uh, premiere of Episode 4? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, it's coming up fast. Oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to binge watch that thing over and over and over. But, yep, we digress. We do. We, we want to take a moment to wish everybody a happy First Contact Day. As we record yes. today, it's April 5th. And as we all know, 48 years from today, in 2063... Vulcans will visit our planet and make contact with the human race after the first time because we'll have done that little thing about, you know, achieving warp drive. Zephram Cochran is my hero. Which Zephram Cochran? Ah. The, actually, I got a question about that. We're going yeah. to talk about first contact this afternoon. Um, <clears throat> so in 2063, the Vulcans are going to come by and, and look at Earth. But is it going to be... Zephram Cochran by himself, or is it going to be Zephram Cochran with Will Riker in the cockpit with him because of the incidents that took place in Star Trek First Contact? It theoretically has always been Zephram Cochran with Will Riker and Geordi LaForge in the cockpit of the Phoenix. I hate time things. They, get, they can get you so twisted upside down, backwards and sideways, can't they? They can. I'm not a Doctor Who <laughs> fan per se, but it really is kind of a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing. That's a Doctor Who thing. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of figured. Well, 
I do have Doctor Who fans in the house. I haven't watched Doctor Who since the uh, uh, 80s. When it was actually. really bad? <laughs> when yeah. its special effects looked worse than Star Trek in the 60s, 20 years before it? Blasphemer. Me? Yes. Me? Oh. How many styrofoam rocks can you have on a show? I'm just saying. <laughs> I will say that the worst special effects probably would be the Star Trek Adventure ride at Universal Studios California, which I once had the opportunity to be on. And I played a Klingon captain, and the planet set was broken that day. So instead of the tentacles wrapping around, they like kind of the people wrapped them around themselves. It was really kind of funny. How am I just hearing about this for the first time after almost 20 years? You never knew that? No. Uh, I'll have to see if I can find the VHS that I have of it and see if we can get it digitized. Oh, that would be awesome. We would totally put that on TrekGeeks.com. I was the captain of the Klingon Bird of Prey. Yeah. Wow. Yes, sir. See? Ha ha. You weren't the Klingon captain, buddy. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> As we've established this week on our Facebook page, which of course you can find at facebook.com slash trekgeeks, Dan is the better half of this podcast, and now also he's apparently been a Klingon captain. However, you've never been a Tellarite like our good friend Larry Nemechek, so I'm just throwing that out there. I have not. I have not had the uh, uh, honor of being on one of the Star Trek series that has been shown on television like he has wearing Avery Brooks' outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we're not we going to let you live that one down, Larry. No, we're really not. As he says, tags don't lie. Um, before we get started, because we're going to talk today about First Contact uh, in honor of First Contact Day, we do want to mention really quickly if you haven't had the opportunity to enter our Blu ray giveaway, um, there is still time. It's running through the end of April. And so there's clearly plenty of time left. You can get more details at trekgeeks.com slash contest. And um, as a reminder, that, you what's that? Is that is that contest K A H N test uh, or contest? If you were spelling con wrong, then it might. Yes, yeah, which I just did. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. want you to catch that. But <laughs> way to go, way to go, superfan one seven zero one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's trekgeeks.com slash contest C O N T E S T for the Dan Davidsons of the world. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, all ten of the uh, Star Trek movies uh, in. Um, the prime universe, so to speak, motion picture up through Nemesis. Um, as we've talked about before, Rathacon is fully restored in HD. Um, there's bonus discs. There's behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, 1,500 minutes of content. Value is $200, over $200 for the uh, Blu-rays. And uh, in addition to that awesome first prize, we got a $35 e-gift card to Amazon. And we also got a T-shirt from the Trek Geek Shop, baby. Third prize. Dan's favorite prize. Yeah. Now, we do want to remind you that only U.S. residents are eligible to enter the contest and win. Um, we have had some some great reviews from the U.K. iTunes store, and we want to thank the the individuals that have submitted those. Um, we, we are grateful for all the feedback that everybody gives. And um, maybe someday if we do something international, we'll be sure to open it up to everybody. But uh, for now, um, you know, please help us out. Rate our podcast on iTunes. Um, enter the contest by going to trekgeeks.com slash contest and win yourself some great Blu-rays because we want to give them away. We do. We do. Absolutely. So, Blu-ray's awesome. Um, I bought these same Blu-ray sets um, earlier, or I was to say late in 2014 when I first got a Blu-ray player. And there were things that, in, in Wrath of Khan, because I've seen probably, probably seen Wrath of Khan maybe a hundred times if I've seen it once. 
And that's probably that's not it. an exaggeration. That's and it. there were details that I had never noticed before. So that's how good these transfers are. You've only seen it a hundred times? I'm saying, oh, I hate you. I just... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want one thing I do want to say. Speaking of the reviews, they've been fantastic. We love seeing them. Um, keep them coming in. <clears throat> Just wanted to share a couple of them with you. Um, somebody posted here. Uh, great podcast. Very informative and enjoyable. Keep up the good work. Very nice. We appreciate that. That is from uh, Joe Schmo 1023 Okay, that's okay. a good one. Thanks, yeah. Joe. <laughs> and uh, Jackie Stagg has uh, reviewed with a full five stars. And she is saying, always good to the last drop with William and Dan. No one makes a hostage tape like these two. <laughs> Having Richard on the show, I swear I heard my inner child squee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jackie Stag. That is awesome. <clears throat> it's amazing that these people are listening to the same podcast. <laughs> I know. I love the reference to the hostage tape, which is the very first thing you said in episode one. So that's kind of cool. It is. Although I, I also wrapped the, the Richard Hatch episode with a hostage tape reference. You did. You did do that. I was The first one's always stuck out in my mind right. because it was just a, a piece of uh, media wizardry. Wow. You don't have to butter me up since the whole better <laughs> half thing. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll keep it, I'll keep it uh, down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it down. So yeah. Uh, th- seriously. Thank you everybody for your reviews. I mean, we're just a couple of guys in new England who are talking about Star Trek and having fun. And the fact that, folks are enjoying it means the world to us so uh thank you so much um we intend to keep going on with episodes and uh, we'll be here as long as you'll be here so thank you uh moving on dan let's talk about first contact absolutely um uh, you remember big a, day today yeah it's yeah. uh last year i actually forgot it was first contact day if you can believe that my wife who is not a trekkie reminded me so i vowed pretty much since then that i'm never going to forget it's first contact day it's All like right. forgetting your anniversary, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my defense, I um, I had Disney on the brain because I was preparing to go to Disney for the first time ever, you know, as a forty-something-year-old man, and um, I I was excited to the fact where I just I totally blocked out April fifth. Huh. Okay. Oh, don't judge me. <laughs> don't judge me. No judging. It happens. Hey, uh, uh, until 1996, we didn't even know that today's first contact day. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you're allowed to forget it every once in a while. Can you believe that this movie is nearly 20 years old? No, I can't, actually. We were talking about that before we started recording today, and it's it's amazing that, that these movies are as old as they are and the shows are as old as they are. Look at Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, our favorite series, is 20 years old. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how the time goes by, but at the same time, it's amazing that they still have the hold that they do on fans. And First Contact was fantastic. I remember, you know, it came out in November of 96. I think it was like the week before Thanksgiving or something like that, or maybe it was right around there. And I went opening night, and I was at a movie theater in Concord, New Hampshire. And this was before stadium seating and everything. And um, the place was packed. And I remember that opening scene where, you know, Picard is dreaming and the little Borg appliance pops out of his cheekbone. Cheek. Yeah, I heard the entire audience, you know, jumped, and several people screamed. And <laughs> I was thinking, man, that has never happened at a Star Trek movie before, like yeah. ever. Yeah, that's one of the things I liked about the movie is it had unexpected parts to it. Um, <clears throat> I didn't see it opening weekend. 
um, which you have reminded me of several times over the course of the years. Um, I'm not a big opening weekend movie person. Um, I made the mistake once of going to an opening movie, um, and it was the, um, whew, okay. This is hard to say. The Phantom Menace. Oh. And bad enough that I went to opening night of The Phantom Menace at all. But it's – ever since then, I've really not – actually, when did Phantom Menace come out? Was it before or after? I don't remember. But this is a perfect reason of why I'm not a fan of opening uh, nights is people are so – you can't concentrate on what's going on on the screen. And that probably happened a little bit with your show in Concord with the, you know, everybody, it was packed and there's a lot going on. Phantom Menace, there were people running around with lightsabers up and down the aisles and, and all kinds of stuff. So I'm not a big fan of the opening nights, but I, I did see it shortly after opening weekend. And, and, uh, I, I love that unexpected part that we were just talking about that. Plus a couple other things that you have never seen in a Star Trek movie. And I think that's probably why I like it so much. I mean, our, excuse me, there was a debate, a debate. I'm going to cut this part. There was a debate recently on Facebook um, in a group that we both participate in, you know, talking about, you know, which of the TNG movies was better. And for me, it's this one. And I think it's because it finally unleashes the next generation cast. Generations to me was still kind of constraining and it had to deal, you know, with, you know, there being the, the, the whole aspect of Kirk in the movie. Right. So it wasn't the ent- passing the torch thing. Yeah, it wasn't entirely there. So this was the first time they get to play in their own sandbox with their own mm-hmm. rules and to grow these characters for film. And I think that's probably why I was so excited by it. And plus the fact that, you know, it was an even number even number Trek movie and it didn't suck. Yep. Um not that the even numbers do, but I mean there's always that you know that worry that when you go to a Star Trek movie like say the two after it um, that it's not going to be as good. Um, I saw this. I want to say I saw it five times before it left the the, uh, the regular theaters, and mm-hmm. then I saw it once in the Dollar Cinema in Meredith, New Hampshire, when it was still there, the weekend after my father died in February of '97. And really, it was the only thing that sort of helped me chill out and calm down and deal with what that following week had to bring. It gave me a chance to focus and center. And I think that's where a lot of my appreciation for this particular film comes from. The first DVD I ever bought was Star Trek First Contact. Oh, I did not know that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. We won't get into it too much, but that's one of the topics that I've always found very interesting about Star Trek as a whole is it helped you that weekend. You and I both know what it did for me back in the early 2000s. Yep. We've talked to other people that it has been that escape that people have needed when they really need it. And that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about it. I had the opportunity to thank Anthony Montgomery for that at the Trek convention in Boston. And I was amazed at the response of the crowd when that happened. Um, and it's good that 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 a lot of people have that same thinking and it allows that escape that sometimes you need. You know, it came along at the right time and was the right tool for me to, you know, focus and to deal with the things I had to deal with on a personal level. It gave me that, you know, hour and 45 minutes, two hours of escape with something that was so familiar that it was like, you know, wrapping yourself up in a blanket and drinking a warm cup of cocoa by a fire on a warm day. It's that sort of comfort. Um, and I, obviously I'd seen it several times at that point. I knew what was going to happen in the movie every step of the way, but that didn't matter because ultimately 
you know, I was with friends and I saw the movie alone. Yep. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's, 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 uh, I think a lot of us have that same type of mindset when it comes to these characters. I, I think so. Um, I, I definitely think the movie holds up, um, as I've let my romanticism with it fade a little bit over time. It, um, I definitely see some of the, the plot points, I think, that annoy me. It's not a perfect movie. It's a great movie. It's a fun movie. But it's by far not perfect. Um, I've heard people recently refer to it as a zombie movie. And I, I, I have a hard time classifying it as such. I, I don't agree with that at all. It's not a zombie movie. It is, it's a Borg movie. And, I, I, you know, we've got zombie coming out of every orifice around us nowadays with the walking dead and I zombie and all these other, all these movies. Um, and so I think people are just putting in that classification just because they have the way that the Borg act, but I don't agree with it as being a zombie movie at all. And I think the other thing I like about the Borg in this movie is that they have not yet been, um, what's a good word? Um, Wussified by Voyager. Yeah. I was going to say emasculated, (laughs) but okay. Wussified. Because Voyager really just sort of took the teeth out of the Borg. You know, yep. when we saw them in Next Generation, they were fearsome. They were the ultimate enemy. You know, Starfleet was, you know, stymied on how to beat them. And it's only through, you know, luck and happenstance that we beat them in the best of both worlds. You get to this and movie. Each, and, and each time it's been one cube. Best of both worlds. It was one cube. Right. First contact, it was one cube. Janeway's going around picking off entire space stations and... and uh, Cube after cube, and yeah, it's it's unfortunate, and I don't blame I don't blame the cast of Voyager for that. No. Um, um, and that's something for another conversation, another day when we talk about the Borg on Voyager. But they were scary in First Contact; they still had that threat, and uh, um, it was good that that uh, they had that threat, and that they the movie did what it did. That's a great topic for a future episode: is where the Borg went wrong. Um, I, I think that Voyager did a lot, you know, to to make the Borg easy to defeat. I mean, they became the Klingons in, in TNG. And I, this, this is going to be another episode because we're going to have probably a debate on this one. I hate the TNG era Klingons. Hate them. In what way? That's interesting. Um, partially from looks, they all look like they stepped out of a heavy metal tribute band from Finland. <laughs> you know, they all have the long hair. They're all of a sudden, you yep. know, um, these animal-like, you know, mm-hmm. rah, rah, let's butt heads. And whereas in the original series, you know, like uh, like we were talking about with Richard Hatch uh, in the last episode, um, as he was going on about things. Um, hey, have you ever seen Three <laughs> Hundred? That was awesome. Love the guy. He was fun. Oh, it was fun. <laughs> um, the Klingons were more tacticians. They were more somebody to be feared as you know, as conquerors and um, they were devious. They were, um, yeah. they were, you know, the, a, a brilliant, you know, uh, strategizing enemy for the Federation. And I felt like they were kind of dumbed down because they looked different in TNG to some extent. Yeah. But we'll and talk about that, you know, at some point. Yeah, that definitely. A, a, could do a whole show on that. Cause I recently watched the episode on enterprise where JG Hertzler was, our, um, uh, Archer's lawyer, yeah, and the Klingons were just like that. Even though it's before TNG, because it took place after TNG, they still all had that same look. It's free. I've never really looked at it like that. That's a very good point. Well, and you think about it 
Christopher Plummer in The Undiscovered Country goes, even though he looks different, he looks more like the Klingons we expect. Mm-hmm. He has that deviousness. He has that yep. that character. You know, he's not about just well honor and blood pie and blood right. wine and rah. You know, it's none of that. It's oh yeah, Kirk. Let me start quoting Shakespeare to you in space. Yes, Boom. yes. Tah ba, tah ba. Tangent. So I remember as a kid watching the original series, and I used to. Um, have this refer to this thing called STLS, which was Star Trek Laughing Syndrome. So at the end of the more humorous episodes, they're all gathered on the bridge, you know, and there's this little kicker scene at the end, you know, where they make fun of Spock and Spock you know, pretends to be insulted and blah, blah, blah. And the laugh sort of starts like subtle waves until it gets into a full on, you know, um, the tidal wave of laughter. And it goes something like this. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> and they just keep laughing as the credits start showing. It's like, why are these people still laughing? Aren't they flying a starship? <laughs> oh, now you're doing it. I hate you. <laughs> so anyway, back to um, back to first contact. I um, we both think the movie holds up, but are there any specific plot points that you look back on now and go? You know what I mean? There are there are a few. Um, The one that stands out the most for me, I think, is the whole relationship with the board queen and Data. I mean, even though Data said that it was he was staging it all so that he could you know save the ship, the skin graph with the hair when she blows on the skin, that whole part kind of I didn't really care for too much, Um, and I didn't think that. I think that making one singular Borg character like the Queen started to take away the ominousness of the Borg collective. And I think it started with Force Contact. I agree with that. I think that – I understand what they were trying to do with the Borg to make them sort of like bees. You know, in that there are drones and there's a hive mind. And, well, if there's that, we have to introduce a Queen – but I think it was to the detriment of the Borg overall. Right. And, and this – not to take away anything that Alice did as the Borg queen. Right. She was no. fantastic. I loved, the, I loved her in that role. But I think the whole idea of the queen and, and what – I mean it, it makes no sense to me when I'm looking at the, at the movie. Why would she have been on the cube that invades Earth? Why would she have gone on the sphere that left the cube to go back in time? And then she goes on to the Enterprise when the sphere gets destroyed by the Enterprise. How come the number one person of the collective is there for any of that? That's something that I never, I never really got uh, anything that explained it, I guess is the right thing to say. I'm still stuck on the whole sphere. Why? You don't need a sphere. The board ship, it's not like they use shields. They could have just transported down to the planet. I don't think that the Borg... Well, they still needed to go back in time, right? At that point, they already were, though, weren't they? Oh, yeah. you mean in the sphere? No, the Borg cube never went back in time, just the sphere. Oh, right, right. My yeah, bad. This, wow. You don't, don't remember that whole scene? No, I do, but I still, I, I'm still annoyed by the whole concept of the sphere because it's the first time we'd ever seen it or heard about it. Yep, yep. In the series, whenever the Borg appeared, there was, you know, they never mentioned that there was an escape vehicle. 
Right, right. Um, and honestly, why would the Borg need to escape? The only thing that I can think of that is they had it planned the entire time that they possibly were going to use the cube to go back in time. But because of the um, fleet, they had the sphere as their quote unquote backup plan. I don't know. Here's it's, that's just thing. coming out right now. I have no idea. Here's the other thing. If they're going to go back in time and assimilate in the past, why go back to 2063? Why yeah, not go, go back to, to like 1776 when they have no technology whatsoever? How about 63? 1963? Like, no, like 63 AD. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's a good point. Why go to 2000? That makes zero sense. Okay, yeah, it allows you to use the Zephram Cochran character, which we'll talk about in a second because I have problems with that. But it, I don't get... So there's, you know, 7 billion people, you know, as they're coming through the, the chronometric wake, all bored. Nine, 9 billion. Well, that's why you are the geek that we play Stump the Geek with, which, by the way, is coming up later in this episode. Um, and you're in trouble. You are in trouble. When am I not? Trouble. Uh, well, you went five for five last time, I want to point out. I did, but still. You know, and then you whiffed it on the bonus question, but I, I let you. Swing and a miss on that one. Oh, dude. You, it was it was like it's like Red I still Sox. Don't, I still don't agree with the Mirror Universe one, but I'm not going to get into that. Well, that was neither here nor there. You only had to get three <laughs> out of four. I got zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> so I, I still don't understand why they went back to that particular point in time. The only yeah. v- reason for that is for Zephram Cochran. And honestly, that image of Zephram Cochran isn't the one I was left with in the original series. They did nothing to explain nope. how he got from that Zephram Cochran to looking like Glenn Corbett. Exactly. And much younger looking. Yeah. Much younger looking. Now, we know that the companion kept him alive for uh, however long it was. What was it? A hundred and something years. But he regressed in age. And no offense to the Zephram Cochran from First Contact, but he's much older looking in First Contact than he is in the original series episode. Oh, by far. Yeah. So, yeah. and then, you know, Zephram Cochran in the original series is painted as, you know, a hero. He's, yep. he's Zephram Cochran. He's the guy who invented yep. a warp drive. You expect them to be some kind of scientist slash test pilot. And in First Contact, we get a tequila-soaked, you yep. know, a Chuck Yeager wannabe that isn't really sure he wants to fly. He just sees dollar signs. Dollar signs, and he wants to be on an island with naked women. I I applaud his methodology. <laughs> <laughs> dollar signs. Please money. send please send complaints and hate mail to Dan <laughs> at trekgeeks.org. <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? Yes, that was very good. And we won't say what you did. <laughs> so they get this former intercontinental ballistic missile and they turn it into a spaceship with what with what and an inner uh, an ICBM i don't want to confuse anybody like you just did wow. an ICBM <laughs> that somehow grows a set of engines out the back once it launches into space yeah <laughs> and you know lily had to scrape together enough titanium for a for the 3 meter cockpit so yeah. how the hell did they build the warp engines? Yeah. Where's the reactor? How did they land the ship? It's a missile. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Ah. <laughs> ah. 
How do they get the 1.21 gigawatts of energy to even go into warp? <laughs> Could I just say, going back to the whole Klingon thing, that although I love Christopher Lloyd, that whenever I watch Star Trek Three, he's still Reverend Jim with a turtle head. I'll tell you what. It's funny that you say that. And we got today's just tangent day, which it is really okay. Is. I remember seeing that at the theater, and I didn't realize that he was in the movie. So we're sitting there, and, and all the scenes with him are in that he's in. And I'm like, God, he's reminding me of somebody. He's reminding me of somebody. And then came the famous, I've come a long way for the power of Genesis. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the guy from Taxi. <laughs> I've come a long way in a DeLorean. Yours was much better, I, by the way. I, I actually, I do like him in Star Trek Three. I thought he did a good job with what he was given. I've always thought that that, that it was fun to see him in that role. It was. Um, and still, he was a little more devious than the TNG era Klingons, who yeah. all apparently were just, you know, dumb guys that ate live worms. Yes. Or crazy like Galron. Yes. <laughs> I wish people could see the, the face of the Galron imitation you just made. <laughs> Um, here's one thing I, I've never understood, and we're going to go back to the Borg Queen a little bit. Okay. If the Borg have a collective consciousness, why do they need a queen? And why, when the queen dies, if they have a collective consciousness, do they stop functioning? Right. And why, once the queen was killed in first contact, were the Borg still a threat anywhere? Yes. It's all very, um, it's, it, those are the plot holes. That I'm willing to overlook in the fact of enjoying a fun movie. But when you start talking about all the stuff in Trek and how things tie together, those are some of the things that start getting uh, a little irritating when you think about them in detail. There's one other one that bugs me a little bit. And I, again, I want to go back and say I love First Contact. It is comfort food to me. It is fun. I think it's the best of the TNG era movies personally. Um, and I defend that you know, with, with every last breath. But these are just some of the plot points that now, almost 20 years later, I look back and go, really? Yeah. Really? So the last one is Picard himself. I mean, the central figure in this story, because it really is a Picard story. Mm -hmm. He's had seven years to get over being assimilated. Six Six years. Um, Fine. (laughs) Fine. He's encountered the Borg other times Mm -hmm. in TNG. Whether yep. it's Descent, parts one Hugh. and two, or I Borg, yep. you know, or whatever. Can Why? I guess what you're going to say? Yeah, go ahead. Why does he hear them all of a sudden in first contact in his mind? That, and why is he now vulnerable? Why yes. wasn't he vulnerable back then in the TV series, which honestly would have made for better episodes? Mm-hmm. You know, Star Trek's best adventures have always been on television, but that would have been a really crucial character development. Why now? Six, seven yep. years later, whatever the heck it is. Why is he now all of a sudden so vulnerable that Starfleet so, wants him to patrol the neutral zone? So vulnerable and at the, and then at the, at, at the same time later on in the movie, so vengeful. He never had yeah. the type of attitude when he was dealing with the Borg in the f- episodes after um, he was assimilated. Now all of a sudden he's like, you know, Tommy gunning them to death and – and and screaming and and like and Rambo breaking breaking the models in the in the observation lounge and uh, just if, yeah good point uh, it's it is it is a very different uh, 
a different Picard in First Contact than in the TV series. You you broke your little ships. <laughs> and I will make them pay for what they've done. You 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 broke your little ships. <laughs> Excuse me, Mister Bald around. Guy. See you around, Ahab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and the Ahab thing has never been done in Star Trek before. Come no, on, never. No. I mean, it's it's not like Khan quotes it or anything. Never. I, um, and isn't it ironic that Patrick Stewart played Captain Ahab in uh, Moby Dick after that? He did. Didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. It was like for TNT or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was very well done. I, I, it was good. I thought it was fabulous. Yeah. I used fabulous there just for you. Thank you. Um, you know what? You're fabulous. <laughs> I, I am, right? <laughs> but you will always be the better half of the Trek Geeks podcast. I may be the Fresh Prince because of my name. But you, my friend, <laughs> you can't see him, but Dan's doing the Carlton. Yes. Um, which he had never heard of before today. Never. Never watched the show, I, I'm sad to say. Uh, I wouldn't be sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let me see if I, I just thought of this. Let me see if I get this straight. A Vulcan ship can detect a crude warp signature on an old missile traveling warp one but they can't find the starship enterprise behind a moon okay let me ask you this question also yeah i've it's been referenced in several episodes it's been referenced in deep space nine just an episode i was watching recently where going into warp while still in a solar system is a very bad thing yes now of course we saw the very big mistake of the klingon bird of prey going into warp while still in earth's atmosphere in star trek 4 but that's another story right they went into warp just outside of orbit of earth yes which supposedly is a very bad thing um and why did the vulcans have to be so close to the solar system in order to pick that up which goes to your point i um there's just there are things that make me scratch my head, um, and I went back and I watched First Contact again recently because I had the Blu-rays, the very same Blu-rays that we're giving away as part of the Trek Geeks Blu-ray giveaway. Well, not the Trek- very same because then you'd be giving away your movies. There are times when I wish I could reach <laughs> through this computer and really just box your ears, son. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, as I was gonna say, um, the very same. Sets of DVDs, but not mine, um, that we're giving away at trekgeeks.com slash contest. For full rules and participation details, please go to trekgeeks.com slash contest. Anyway, um, did you like how I did that? Was that smooth? That was that was smooth. That's smooth as an Android's bottom, eh, Data? Nah. <laughs> and I didn't even go to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I just want to say I'm, I'm a flunky that, that has a computer. You know what? I am glad that I can bleed that off of me and you can pick it up a little bit. If you're bleeding after that, you might want to see a doctor. <laughs> All right. So what were you going to say? Uh, <laughs> I feel like Richard Hatch. I don't know. <laughs> uh, wow. uh, That's good. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> let's, let's take a minute to talk about the things that we thought were really successful in the movie. Um, Yes, there was some. There wasn't as much character development with, say, Jordy and Gates. Time out. Okay. I got one more thing. I got. I want to complain about okay. before we get to that because yeah. I just thought of it. Okay. Where the hell did Jordy's visor go? <laughs> he had them eyes. 
I don't care. There was never any explanation of that. It was just all of a sudden, just in this movie, boom, now he's got bionic eyes. I have a theory. Uh, I have okay. a theory. It's because his visor apparatus was compromised by Lursa and Bator in the previous movie that he had, had to get something a little more secure. So why not just get eyeballs? Why didn't he get that in season two of The Next Generation? Because uh, the visor caused him pain. I know. Uh, yeah, constant pain. Yeah, so you can be quiet. Okay. <laughs> no, that's actually a good... I actually never thought of that. The uh, Trek that, Geeks uh, podcast starring Dan Davidson <laughs> with some guy Dan kind of knows. There would be no Trek Geeks without Mr. William Smith. That's really true. Um, so <laughs> it's obvious that there was little character development of Beverly and Jordy yep. and even Deanna. I really... you know, Deanna could have been used differently. Um, you mean to tell me she can be in a bar with Zephram Cochran and not understand as an empath that that's Zephram Cochran? Yeah. Really? And basically she was just there to have that. That one scene was really her, her only scene in the movie. Yeah. And it was, she passed out. Right. And, you know, you, I understand that it's a two-hour movie instead of a seven-season TV series. They want to throw comedy. They want to throw action. They want to throw drama all into the same movie. So they have to pick and choose where they're going to do it. I just thought they could have done it in a better spot and to not have Deanna be that. I mean, she crashed the Enterprise D for Christ's sake in the previous movie. She just never seems to catch a break. <laughs> well, she, she crashes the Enterprise D in Generations. She crashes the E in Nemesis. Every time they let her behind the wheel, their deductible's going up. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So but back to what was good about the movie. Yeah, there were things that I thought that this film did incredibly well um, that I don't think it gets enough credit for. There are two separate story threads in this movie. And I think that it's a little bit like watching two films in one and then they meet yes. up at the end. And I think it's done exceedingly well. Yep. You know, they you have a little bit of on Earth and you have a little bit on the ship and it, you know, sort of tennis balls back and forth. And I think that they did it in a sense where it propelled the action naturally and not at the it, expense of one storyline or another. And at the same time, they did it at just the right points. There would be one scene on the ship where something ominous was about to happen and then they cut to Earth. So when they – it was just you know kind of like those horror movies where bam, it's going to hit you right there and then it they went to a different storyline. I liked the way that they did that. Um, I like the way that – even though they didn't really talk about it very much, I love the Enterprise E. I thought it was it's sleek, it's uh, it's really nice looking, and the way that they introduced it in that very first scene, kind of on the outside of that nebula, yeah. one of the best scenes in um, for space pictures from one of any of the Star Trek movies. I think I liked it because it was more of a, a nod warship. to the the what? I, I think it looks more like a warship kind of Enterprise. That's not what I was going to say at all. Okay. No, no, I was just I was kind okay. of just continuing on with my point. It's time, time <laughs> your for turn. The, Sorry, time for the adults in the room to make their point. <laughs> um, I liked it because it seemed to you know uh, be a little bit of a callback to the TMP Enterprise, the redesign, the refit, because of the the nacelles and the sleekness of the design. It wasn't the the sort of rounded nacelle, you know, rounded engineering section of of tng a tv friendly ship they made a ship that looked good in the movies right and that also looked very intimidating and i thought that it was just beautiful 
I thought this is something great that's a, design. This is a this is a very strange comparison, but it reminds me a lot, and I don't know why. It reminds me a lot of a phaser rifle. Really? In what sense? Does that make any sense? The sleekness of it, the way that it's shaped, it's very uh, – It's I don't even know the wording. But if you, look at a, if you look at the regular phasers that they use in Next Generation, then they come out with these phaser rifles. They're very slick. They're very mm. aerodynamic looking. Yeah. For some reason, when I look at the Enterprise when it's at a certain angle, it reminds me of a phaser rifle. I don't know why. The first thing I noticed on the Enterprise E were the escape pods. Really? Did you hear what I said when you were talking about your beer just then? Yeah, because you never really notice them on the D or really any other Enterprise. But when you look at the hull of the Enterprise E, you see those sort of almost hexagonal shapes that eventually wind up leaving the ship later in the movie. And you're like, what are those things? And they turn out to be the escape pods. They're very noticeable. So it's almost like they're foreshadowing that those are going to get used later in the movie. But yet they look great. They do look really good. One thing that that I would say is a... Not an issue, but something that I I don't like with the Enterprise E is <clears throat> there seem to be Jeffrey's tubes and hatchways everywhere, and they seem to be very convenient for when the crew needs them, especially in this movie. It's like, <laughs> is there any space anywhere outside of this corridor for crew quarters or anything? It just seems that there's they're everywhere. I and there's I, hatches where they pull open that, and then all their rifles are sitting right there. Those said phaser rifles. All right. Yeah, I did like the uh, the cameo from Robert Picardo, who at that point was on Voyagers, the EMH. Yep, that was nice. And plus the one from Ethan Phillips, Ethan Phillips, who plays yep. Neelix. Um, I thought those were very nicely done. Um, yep. And I could have lived. I'm going to catch grief for this, but I could have lived without the Janeway cameo later in the movie series. Oh, at the beginning of um, uh, Nemesis. Uh, no, not not Nemesis. Was it? no, it was Insurrection. No, because she references the Sona. She sends him to Romulus. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm thinking of the Sona. Yes, you're, I'm sorry. My yeah. apologies. It was Nemesis. Yeah, I'm thinking the Sona, which made me think Insurrection. That's one cameo I didn't like, but I thought the two in First Contact worked out really well. I like the way I that... can I ask you one question? We're going to go off on another tangent, but I got to ask it because you just said it. Yeah. Do you really think that the Sona were in the same league as the Borg in terms of villains that Picard has faced? Do we want to go down that road right now? I don't. But Janeway does. <laughs> I don't think we're going to. <laughs> uh, let me let me hold on. Let me see if I can do this. Holy, right. let me peel my skin back a little bit more before I come after you, Jean Luc. The Borg, <laughs> the sauna. <laughs> What's the line the she has there? Oh wait, the Borg, <laughs> the sauna, the Romulans. Yeah, yeah. That's I got nothing. Okay. Um, I got nothing. I liked. The interplay between Picard and Lily in this movie, although I thought there was a little too much of it. I thought there was, uh, I don't know if it was a little too much of it, but I think that Lily obviously was very brilliant because she helped design this uh, warp ship from an ICBM with very little supplies, as we mentioned a few minutes ago. Right. But she sure seemed like a little kid at at times. Now, maybe it was just, you know, because she's now all of a sudden she's on this 24th century starship and doesn't know how to, how to handle it. But she seemed kind of naive uh, a lot uh, when she was on the ship interacting with Picard, I thought. Well, that's what I was going to ask. She seemed like, you know, Hey, we're in space. Oh, and now I'm in, in space. 
it, just, it seemed really bizarre. It's like, well, that's what you were going to do. You remember, right? Right. You were right. going now, to Now, was she space. supposed to go on? She was supposed to be going on the ship. She never got a chance to go on the ship because Riker took it. Was she supposed to? Because they never said that. Yes, they, they did. They said when they were walking out of the bar, um, they were talking about, I'm not going to go. She goes, I'm not going to go up in that ship with a drunk pilot to Cochrane. Oh, you're right. Yeah. As usual. Well, mm-hmm. I think Riker and Jordan Lee went because she was aboard the Enterprise at the time. True. True. So but stop, she, she lost her chance. Stop yelling at me. To go into space, even though she was already in space. Wow. Look at that. She beat Cochrane That's, into space. Wow. She did. Mind blown. Why doesn't she have a statue in Montana? Right? God. Over there. Yeah, looking up, reaching for the stars. (laughs) I got to take a leak. What? I'm not detecting a leak. Don't you people pee in the future? Oh, right. Oh, that's funny. Leak. Yeah. (laughs) I felt bad for LeVar when that scene happened. I just, it's like, really? With his shades. Did you notice that? Oh, he yeah, shades I did. on in that yeah. scene. You got to protect. Because <laughs> they don't want to hide his bionic eyes. You got to protect the hardware, man. Yeah. Well, Those are brand new eyes. I'm sure they're still under yeah. warranty. Yeah. Of course, uh, there's no money in the 24th century, so it's not like you'd have when, to buy new ones. And when they did the close-up, when he was scanning for Cochrane about 500 meters off in the woods, they looked like Borg spheres. Wow. Wow. Maybe they were. Hey, there's a whole bunch of time stuff in this episode, man, or this movie. And here we've come full circle back to the whole Doctor Who thing. <laughs> so overall. Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> that was not feedback, ladies and gentlemen. That was Dan whistling just for the record. Um, Doctor Who. So Dan, summing up, um, first contact holds up, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Is it still enjoyable? Because you've probably seen it more times than I have at this point. Do you still have the same sense of, oh, man, this is awesome when you watch it? Or is it more of a, oh, hey, first contact's on? Parts of it, I have that, oh, awesome, I love this scene. Parts of it are, okay, get to the next good scene that I'm waiting to see. Um, After 20 years and after seeing it so many times, some parts get a little slow or a little, I don't want to say boring. That's not really the right word. But um, the action scenes, the... The scene with the with the um, fleet fighting the cube is awesome. Um, seeing the Defiant um, is awesome. Being a Deep Space Nine fan, um, the bat, you know, just the whole. I, I love the Borg. I love seeing the different races that have been assimilated. Like the, there's a Klingon, there's a Bolian. I think there's a Cardassian, if I remember correctly. That you see, it holds up in that aspect. There are some parts that I'm just like, nah, okay, next scene, please. Definitely holds up after 20 years, though. I agree. It holds up. It's still one of my favorite movies to toss in the the DVD player. If I don't, I'm not sure what I'm going to watch. Um, I I will never fall out of love with this movie. I think I live with the things that I see in it as deficiencies, yeah. but overall, I I still think it's a fantastic movie and still, as I said before, the best one of the TNG movies. I know people who will vehemently disagree with that, and that's fine. I think it's all a matter of taste. Yep. But for me, it's it, it's it didn't get any better than that because it certainly got worse. You know how it might get better? No. If JJ did it. Oh, oh is the debate going to start now? Oh, the hate mail. Please send that to Dan at TrekGeeks.com, <laughs> which is the actual address. In case you were listening earlier. I'm, I'm not saying that JJ should do it, but I'm just, I just wanted to throw that out because I know that's such a point of contention amongst fans. Well – 
I think that we can all agree there's one thing JJ would love. There's one thing that Frakes would love. There's one thing that you and I love. And Dan, do you know what that is? Stump the Geek. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Stump the Geek, the entirely made-up game show with... I have something to say. I, I was at the middle this, of my intro. This is important, though, because of what you're playing in the background right now. Okay. Five-year mission, you need to come to the Boston area because I really want to see you in concert. <laughs> <laughs> if there was something you were going to interrupt my awesome intro for, I guess that is it. We do love yes. Five-Year Mission. Um, we can't thank them enough every week for letting us use their music and that song, uh, Miri... Off, uh, off one of their albums is the Stump the Geek theme. And Stump the Geek is the game show we play within the Trek Geeks podcast where I ask Dan five questions of varying difficulty for made-up point values. Dan cannot use any resources whatsoever. So the internet, uh, phone, books that he has, they're all off limits. He's got to use his teeny tiny peanut brain to answer these questions. Um, this week, um, yes. Before we get started, um, how many years did you say Picard was waiting for the board? Um, yeah, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Okay, super fan 1701. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Yeah. So today, Dan, originally before we realized it was First Contact Day and we were recording on First Contact Day, we were going to do an all Deep Space Nine edition. So I decided to stay with that theme because you and I are dying to talk about Deep Space Nine at some point. Yes, and we actually are going to have an entire episode devoted to Deep Space Nine coming up in the near future. The very near um, future which we're looking forward to. That's a discussion that we've had a lot and uh, we've, we've been planning on doing this episode for a while, but we keep getting awesome guests signed on to the show. So we haven't been able to do it yet. So to whet people's appetite, um, we're going to play an all deep space nine edition of stump the geek. And we will start with question one. Dan, this question is for 10,000 points. Wow. Notice I'm giving you the point values ahead of time. Yeah. A little, uh, name the hosts of the Dax symbiont before Jadzia. Hosts, plural, all of them? All of them. Oh, boy. Uh, there were seven. That's a lot. That's that's like seven questions, man. No, that's actually one question because I wrote it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, do, do they have to be in any particular order? No. Oh, my God. Oh, let's see. Oh, there's old man. <clears throat> oh, I don't think that's his name. No, it's not his name. Curzon was his name. That is correct. <clears throat> oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, okay, that's she was after. Um, I was going to say uh, Esri? After, she, after she passed away. Esri. You were going to say Esri, and that Esri. would be I was, wrong. That would be wrong, and I didn't say that. I said I was going to say it. Um, let's see. Curzon. Oh my goodness gracious. To, 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 not to Lars. Um, let's try to keep the whistling to a minimum. I'm sorry. Um, let's see. 
Lee, not Lita, Leela. That's correct. Leela's one. Um, which is the one that was involved in the murder? I tell you what, uh, was you that Emony or Tobin? You get four. It doesn't matter. Those are two other ones. Okay. Um, I was going to say, you get um, one more, and we'll we'll give you 10,000 points for one more. The one before Curzon was uh, Jor- Jordan. Um, Jor- Jordan. No, that's Jordan Marsh. Jor- Joran? Jorine. That's correct, Joran. Joran. Ah, so you, you got five out of seven. I will list the seven in order. They are Leela, okay. Tobin, Emony, Audrid, Tarias, Joran, and Curzon. Tarias, if I had to go for all seven, I probably would not have gotten Audrey or Tarias. I'm aware of that. <laughs> Why do you think the wow. question was only 10,000 points, man? Come on. Hey, that's, that's 9,999 more than question one last time. That's true, but this question, <laughs> question two, is a little different. <laughs> for 276,000 points. <laughs> Which tooth did the Cardassian Bureau of Identification typically collect from all Cardassians at the age of 10 and also all non-citizen prisoners? Oh, my goodness. Well, they took it out of O'Brien, if I remember correctly. Because he was a non-citizen prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's more in the back. They didn't take it out of the front of his face. Uh this is hurting just thinking about it. It's hurting me more than you'll know because I have to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say a molar. Is it more specific than that? I will accept uh, a molar. It's actually the first molar. The first grown molar or the first molar in order of the teeth? The, that the, first, the first molar would be the first molar in order. Why, I just want to make sure. Why do we play this game with you? Who came up with this idea? So Dan, I do like that episode, by the way. That's, that's a, a great episode. episode. Um, yeah. There's another great episode. Um, currently, right now, you have 286,000 points. Question three is a very simple answer. It's one word. Okay. For 996,121 points. What was the name of Luther Sloan's wife? Oh. Uh, we met her in the episode where it was all in his mind. And his wife's name was... This is my wife. Doctor. This is my wife, Jessica. Wow. I'm <laughs> amazed that you pulled that out. All right. I have to, I have to say one thing. Yeah. I watched that episode like two weeks ago. So. I hate you. <laughs> I, I've had these questions written for five weeks. I just want to. I love the Section Thirty One episodes. I think that's a great storyline. All right, so let me do some quick math here. You have you quick math one million two hundred eighty-two thousand one hundred twenty-one points going into question four. Wow, you were killing it last time. Remember, you went five for five in the Todd Habercorn yeah. episode. Um, you were now three for five coming into question. Four. For 17 points. <laughs> what you come up with this? It's, it's all random. I assure you. <laughs> what was the site of the first confirmed attack on Earth by the Dominion? 
San Francisco Starfleet Academy? Or was it the Presidio? Hmm. Oh, I don't know why the Presidio is sticking out in my head. Okay, and Florida was the Zindi, so it wasn't Florida. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) I need your answer, please. Um, Well, it was the... It's kind of a trick question, because if I remember correctly, it was actually the Breen that attacked first. I'm going to say San Francisco. Remember, it was the first confirmed attack on Earth by the Dominion, so it had not the Breen, and it was the Antwerp Conference. The Antwerp Conference. Oh, disappointing. You were on a roll. You had eight in a row, and now you're at three for four. Can you please let me know what episode that was in? Um, I can. <laughs> How come you can't tell me, super fan? Oh, well. All right. That's all right. But uh, they did attack start San Francisco. Um, it was pulling uh, from Memory <laughs> Alpha, checking, which checking is your the arbiter of, of all things, uh, the Antwerp Conference was a high-level meeting between Romulan and Federation diplomats held in the city of Antwerp oh, on Earth oh, in 2372. Yep. This occurred during DS9 Homefront and Paradise yep. Lost. Yep, and it was, there was a um, the statue or something. So it was a statue that was the bomb, if I remember correctly. Well, unfortunately, you didn't remember enough in time for those 17 points, nope. now did you? <laughs> this takes us to question five. Damn it. And this one, this one I, I'm pretty sure you'll get. For 37 million and one points. <laughs> Which of the Pa Wraith was Jake Sisko possessed by? Oh, man. 37 million and one. Pa Wraith. Yeah, that's. I like the Pa Wraith stories, but. Oh, man. Uh, is it a specific name? A specific named one? Because I know that there's the whole Coast Emojin, but I'm not sure if that's specific enough. You're not in your head, so uh, I guess I'm going to go with Coast Emojin. <laughs> uh, that is 100% correct. Remember, the Pirates that- weren't named necessarily. They had classifications, and the Coast Emojin was the evil Pirates. Yes, and I remember that that's what... Um, Adami used to pray to when she went bad at the end of the series. That is correct. So for those keeping track at home, Dan now has 38,282,122 points. He only missed one question for a measly 17. So clearly I need to work on my point assignments. But this takes us to the special double or nothing bonus. Now this bonus is going to be a little different because it's a dialogue challenge. So this means... It's double or nothing plus a billion points. If Dan gets it right, he doubles his score and adds a billion to the beginning. And if he gets it wrong, he walks away with the sad trombone. Plus a billion. uh, No, no. You said double or nothing and a billion. Haven't you ever watched The Price is Right where they say it's hole in one plus two? And they add that on at the end. It's not like you get a hole in... If you get a hole in one, you don't get two more. All right. So... 
We use special music for this. Now, the guidelines for this is it is a piece of Kirk dialogue from the original series. And Dan uh, must recite the dialogue as Kirk. Okay. But he's got to do the whole bit of dialogue. God. So, Dan. Mm. Oops, wrong one. That's what wow. I'm anticipating using. Wow. <laughs> Dan's favorite music to get him working. I will say that when I start, you're not going to be able to play that because I'm not going to be able to do a Kirk impersonation. I'll stop. Why don't I stop now? <laughs> so, Dan, recite Kirk's speech from the end of the Omega Glory. Oh, my God. For a billion <sighs> points plus double your 30-whatever million. Oh, my God. That is going to be difficult. Hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. I know that I know the speech and I know there's the parts that are just great. Uh, Peace and tranquility. I remember (laughs) he does. does I know he does a declaration, but he says, uh, he says, tranquility. (laughs) He doesn't even say tranquility, right? Tranquility. Peace and Uh, tranquility. Um, let me see if I can think about it for a second here. Uh, See, now this is where you need the These, thinking music. The, what's that? You can play the music now. Oh, can I? Yeah, you can. I gotta think about it. I gotta think of where it starts. The visit of the banners, Mrs. Fock. All right, stop it. Sorry. I get the sense that we're gonna have to wave this one off. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's, that's a, that's a, it's not one of my favorite, most favorite episodes. Oh, that is one of my baby. most favorite scenes. But well, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to walk away with nothing and hold my head high. Instead of me reading it, why don't we go straight to the source? No, no. Only the eyes of a chief may see the e plebnista. E plebnista. This was not written for chiefs. Hear me. Among my people, we carry many such words as this from many lands, many worlds. Many are equally good and are as well respected. But wherever we have gone, no words have said this thing of importance in quite this way. Look at these three words written larger than the rest with a special pride never written before or since tall words proudly saying we the people cue dramatic music <laughs> was not written for the chiefs or the kings or the warriors or the rich or the powerful but for all the people all the people down the centuries you have slurred the meaning I'm slurring my words now words, <laughs> we the people of the United States states in order to form a more perfect union, perfect. establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, Tron- provide for the defense, promote the general welfare, <laughs> and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. And I love how the music drowns him out here. You wanted and, me to do this whole thing? Dude, are you Superfan1701 or aren't you? 
My God, man. Uh, I'm a doctor, not a voiceover man. <laughs> You're a doctor, not someone who went to the Connecticut school of brought... Oh. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Well, Dan, we have some lovely parting gifts for you. You walk away with the home version of the Trek Geek Stump the Geek game and also your old W-2s. So uh, thank you very much for playing. Excellent. And uh, we're going to play next time. And uh, speaking of next time, Dan, why don't you tell the good folks at home how they can listen to more of us and get in touch with us? Do you want to do that now or next time? I'm going to read the copy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, getting in touch with us, very easy. Um, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, uh, our handle is Trek Geeks. And you can, <laughs> you can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or you can call us at 508 508- Seven eight four one seven zero one. You like that? I Individually, know. you can uh, send a tweet to Bill at Trek Geek Bill, and you can send one to me at DCDDS nine. And uh, as we heard earlier today, remember that any comments or messages you leave will be used in future episodes. We can pretty much guarantee that. Uh, we really can. If you send us a comment through one of those, especially one that says. Dan's a big jerk. You'll they'll just get bumped <laughs> to the front of the line. Oh, and I forgot to play this for you, Dan. This is for you. Oh, thank you. It's funny that it's funny that you actually got that in because as we were signing, going to be signing off in a few minutes. As you were ready to stop the the record, I was going to say you forgot to play music. Bye. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe next time you'll do better and stump the geek and not walk away with zero points like you did this week. Um, you know, that's something you should have known that Kirk speech, but I'm not going to judge you, buddy. I love you the way you are. Oh, I appreciate that. So thank you all very much for listening to episode nine of the Trek Geeks podcast. Uh, we'll be back soon with episode 10. Wow. Double digits, double digits. I'm still amazed by this. We, you know, in all seriousness, um, our audience has grown with every episode and we truly appreciate the folks that are downloading and leaving us comments and uh, retweeting on Twitter and um, sharing on Facebook and um, especially iTunes reviews. So, so please remember to go to, uh, to iTunes and rate the podcast and then enter the Blue Way giveaway drawing. More details at trekgeeks.com slash contest. But uh, for now, Dan, um, I think it's probably time to close this episode. Closing it up, wishing everybody a happy first contact day. Um, and we got, uh, like we said, unless we get something special, which you never know, we could have something. We got that Deep Space Nine episode coming up real soon. So I'll look forward to that. And uh, thanks for joining us as always, folks. Live long and prosper. Nerds rope. Excuse me. You ever seen nerds rope? No. What? It's it's, it's ner- rope a bunch made of nerds, nerds, and it's they're all attached to like this chewy Twizzler. <laughs>
How well does it go with uh, Shipyard Sunfish Ale? I don't know, because I'm not opening it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, am I to understand that you just threw in the Brady Bunch? Time to change? I hope you were recording that. (laughs) I am. When it's time to change, when it's time to change. Sha-na-na-na-na. Sha-na-na-na-na. Play that again. We could get that going. Um. Sha-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-
So as I was saying, I, yes, I'm sorry. I thought I would um, start, you know, by talking about the fact that it's first contact day. I mentioned the movie came out, you know, in '96. Yeah. Say how um, it was probably one of the first um, new Star Trek experiences we had a chance to bond over. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, I think talk, that's a good idea. I talk think- about the fact that I saw it before you did, and I was a bigger fan. <laughs> Because I saw it opening weekend and you were doing something else. I don't remember what it was, what I was doing, but I also do know that I'm not a huge fan. I'll talk about this too. I'm not a big fan of going to movies the first weekend they open because I, I remember doing that for the <coughs> Phantom Menace. <laughs> yep. And, and you couldn't hear anything. <laughs> right. Because you got people running around in their little freaking Jedi outfits with the whoosh, whoosh, with the, with the uh, yeah. With the what? I gotta go. I gotta uh, let the dog out real quick. Um, she looks like she's about to go nuts. Who let the dogs so, out? Ooh, 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 ooh! I'll be right back. 